join Startup Canada this spring as we tour across Canada to celebrate the winners of the 2018 Startup Canada Awards. Join us in Winnipeg, Vancouver, Miramichi, Sault Ste. Marie, and Montreal. Network with leading entrepreneurs and the drivers of Canada's startup community. Visit startupaward.ca for more information and to get your tickets now. Rogers Business App Market brings together the right apps for your business and wraps it all up with Rogers world-class support. Microsoft Office 365 makes it easy. Whether you need to securely store and backup files, access or share documents in the cloud, collaborate with your team or manage your business from anywhere and on any device. Plus, with support from Rogers, you'll get everything up and running quickly. To learn more, visit rogers.com forward slash business apps. Scotiabank understands that business is personal and your business has unique needs. That's why we offer flexible solutions for your business banking. Create your own business banking package that works for you by opening an account online in minutes with ease and start saving today. Visit scotiabank.com forward slash small business to get started. Building your dream, work-life balance, scaling up, Discussing the topics that matter most to entrepreneurs. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada podcast. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and those driving the entrepreneurial movement. The Startup Canada podcast show is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. If you are a regular show listener, welcome back. If you're new to the program, hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and Google Play Music and visit startupcan.ca to connect with both your local startup community and to join Startup Canada to access training, resources, and a peer network to grow your success. I'm Rivers Corbett and entrepreneurship is part of my DNA. Whether it's building my own companies or helping other entrepreneurs build theirs, this is my Lane. Want to connect after the podcast? You can find me at www.meetrivers.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast show where we talk to entrepreneurs, those hanging out with entrepreneurs, and those that are just in love with the whole entrepreneurial journey. And uh, had a really fun, fun kind of preamble with our next guest uh, and <laughs> reference points to what are you doing? in a bathroom stall you're about to have a get on a podcast and she says you can talk about whatever the hell you want to <laughs> we are just thrilled to have a trailblazer in canada's vc industry on the show today michelle scarborough is the managing director strategic investments and women in tech at the business development bank
Bank of Canada, or more appropriately known as BDC. She leads the orientation and execution of strategic initiatives to fill current and future financing gaps in the Canadian ecosystem. Michelle is widely recognized in her field, having started and led multiple ventures to become industry leaders. We're going to talk a bit about that. With over 20 years of experience as an entrepreneur and investor across multiple sectors, Michelle is now responsible for $70 million in investment capital to be be allocated to high-growth tech companies led by women. Michelle is a director of the Canadian Venture Capital and Private Equity Association and is past chair of the National Angel Capital Organization. And she is also the founder of the Women's Angel Network in Canada. Today's podcast, we're going to talk to Michelle about the state of venture capital amongst women entrepreneurs in Canada and how she's working to fund women-led companies. Michelle, welcome to the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. She's a Red Hot Chili Pepper fan too, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, so that's all uh, that's all appropriate. Um, Michelle, I got to first of all, just a little side note. Um, you're the founder of the Women's Angel Network in Canada. Uh, what is the the website for that? Yeah, we don't actually have one up yet, and we did that for strategic reasons, and that was to get a critical mass of women who are interested in becoming investors, yes. um, kind of up the curve on how to become angels, and we're also coordinating that with other groups across Canada who have the same goal in mind, so that right. we're building a bit of a community as opposed to one. So we will we'll land on either uh, an individual website for the whole entire group or use one of the existing organizations and, uh, and dovetail off of there. I love it. So what's going on um, today that wasn't going on 10 years ago that is moving a more of a significant focus on women entrepreneurs and uh, helping them on their journey specifically related to venture? Because the stats show that women entrepreneurs have a potential to be more successful than men. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because back in the day when I was building my companies, none of this, uh, none of this dialogue existed, mm. and you know, you just kind of went out the door and built the company and hoped for the best and jumped over the obstacles as you as you found them. And uh, but what's really interesting, and it's not just women, but it's it's really you know across the landscape as we look at all entrepreneurs and the the development of entrepreneurial businesses in the country and, and worldwide. There's a real movement towards entrepreneurial thinking. There has been for the last 10 years, and we're really seeing a proliferation of that now. And what we're also seeing is a very significant shift in focus of women who, you know, maybe at one point in time were in a retail business or a services business, which is where right. you know most of most of women entrepreneurs tend to be. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're starting to see an emergence of women. Very, uh, particularly younger younger women coming out of university that may have graduated with engineering or science or math or even arts and uh, and a drive to get into the technology space and to build technology enterprise and so we're seeing a shift not only in entrepreneur the growth of entrepreneurism as a as a um, a way forward from a career path perspective versus you know going inside the big company and hoping that you're going to be there for 20 years yeah. uh, so more entrepreneurial thinking around how I'm going Going to be in the world, how I'm going to create my own career, and then on top of that, uh, real growth and and uh, surgeons in the number of women who are now starting businesses in the tech space and looking to grow technology companies with a global footprint. And that's new. That's you know that's really 
uh, anecdotally, I don't have, you know, hard evidence to support that, but just what I've uh-huh. seen in the market, that's, that's really started to take off just in the last couple of years. And do you, would you relate that just simply down to dialogue? I think it's, you know, I think part of it's dialogue. I also think that, um, you know, we still have a gap in, in women in STEM, but I think more women are seeing, um, um, technology, technology leaders who are women starting to step out in front of the camera and say, Hey, you know what, actually, um, I've been quiet for a long time because I've been building my business and I haven't been worrying about, you know, PR and all that stuff, but I'm starting to realize and recognize that it's important for me to, to tell everybody what I'm up to as a leader in the technology, in the technology sector, because it will be, what drives a lot of women to follow in their footsteps. And certainly that's, you know, I'm seeing that even in venture. There's, you know, when I started in venture, there was a handful of us. And now we're starting to see, again, more and more women wanting to get into venture capital, wanting to take uh, take more calculated risks as angel investors. And so we're, again, seeing a parallel movement um, to, to identify and build the skills in order to do those those types of activities, which is something we haven't seen before. And, and it's being driven driven in part by, by recognizing role models in the market. I am fortunate enough to interview Bruce Croxon a little while ago, one of the dragons on the Dragon's Den show. And I'm curious, uh, his, uh, he, I asked him about, you know, what is the, the power behind the Dragon's Den? And he referenced the point of, you know, it, it starts the dialogue. It creates energy. It creates a, a whole topic around entrepreneurship. And as you know, the dragons are split between women and, and men and in the, in the, in the goings and comings of the dragons. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the Dragon's Den as it relates to the dialogue? around entrepreneurship and investment? Well, I think, you know, they're, they're focusing on a very specific, uh, the Dragon's Den as a show is focusing on a very specific segment. So, you know, a lot of, they, they take a broad swath of companies across the country and they look at those from a, really with an angel lens to them. Mm. Um, so I see them as, as being, you know, that show as being edutainment. I was actually involved yeah. in very, very early on in the Dragon's Den, um, right at the pilot yeah. stage. And, and it was very much, sort of edutainment oriented. So you're teaching people about what it means to build a company, mm-hmm. um, to pitch investors, and then ultimately to um, to get to get traction from an investment perspective. It's, you know, obviously they've, they've got to do it in, you know, an hour for us. Sure. It's significantly, yeah, a significantly longer time frame. Yes. Um, but I think they get the message across. And, and to Bruce's point, they do start the conversation. And that's, that I think has been, um, been what is, has been necessary in order to get people thinking a little bit differently about how to build an economy and how to build businesses that have traction in an economy and, and grow those. I think that's, you know, people have, I think, made an assumption that business would just be there, but, but it's right. a lot of hard work and a lot of, you know, elbow grease to get it to, to get some of these companies to where they are. We're going to take a journey on uh, on your role at BDC in a bit, but I want to reference or go back to the point of you being an entrepreneur. Um, what what has been, um, I was going to say your most fond memories of being an entrepreneur, but I, I know we always have those <laughs> smattered with some not so fond memories also. <laughs> but I, I, what's been what's been a journey as an entrepreneur? You say, wow, that was a good ride. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I think I'm still on the good ride. 
um, even as even working inside of BDC, you know, I'm I still bring my entrepreneur mentality to BDC. And BDC, I have the luxury um, of working with great people who also have a very similar mindset. Mm-hmm. So, and that's something that I didn't really realize until I got here. Um, I had always been an investor alongside um, other members of the BDC, you know, direct investment team and on the, on the fund of fund side. And, um, but I didn't really realize the, the, the um, the culture within BDC that is also driven to that and and mm-hmm. so when they say, when BDC says they're the bank for entrepreneurs I mm. you know I'm like yeah actually you know what you are because a lot of they're, they're the people inside and the culture inside is certainly quite entrepreneurial and looking at you know constant uh, ways to improve and so on so I think you know my journey is is I've had my my good bad and ugly. Um, mm-hmm. in building companies and in building funds. Um, but, um, but the, you know, stepping out and building something and trying something new and seeing a market gap and, and then identifying a way in which to, to fill that market gap by leveraging, um, you know, a community to do that or a, a group of people with diverse skill sets to do that is what really has been my driver. And, and I just, you know, I get to keep that, keep that momentum going here. I'm I'm curious on your comment about the cultural environment within BDC. I'm fortunate enough to be the entrepreneur in residence for Opportunities New Brunswick, which is the economic agency for the province. And culture is a huge, huge component of why I personally feel why it's successful. This crown corporation, you know, the antithesis of 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 what you would think it'd be. It's the opposite of what government is. What's some of the stuff that the BDC is doing? Because I think there's a lesson learned about helping your organization be entrepreneurial driven. I mean, here's another organization that's government related. How are they being entrepreneurial? Well, they're being entrepreneurial. Just, I mean, the fact that they, the fact that they have allocated $70 million in capital to start a fund dedicated to solely to investing in women led tech enterprises. That's very entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. Most banks mm-hmm. wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, sort of step out and, and make that bold of a statement. They, and they, you know, in alignment with their, their limited partner, their primary shareholder, which in BDC's case is of course the government of Canada. Yes. And, um, you know, so that's very entrepreneurial. They, um, they're constantly looking for ways in which to devise um, mechanisms and, and products that are easy for, the, for entrepreneurs to access and easy for entrepreneurs to, uh, to interface with either account managers or, or um, through online uh, means by which to get term loans. So there's, there's a constant level of innovation happening at, at the grassroots level and usually in conjunction with feedback from, our, from the customer base. And BDC has 49,000 small and medium-sized enterprise customers. So there's a, there's, that's a lot of, there's a lot of mm. voices there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think that, that there's, there's a, there's a real, you know, tone at the top to continue to um, help the entrepreneur and look for ways in which to support the entrepreneur, entrepreneur along the path, uh, the, you know, using the path of least resistance, obviously with, with um, 
the the usual caveats in mind being being that the the organization is a bank, but um, but they're they are looking for ways uh, across the bank. And I work I work in BDC Capital, which is the investment uh-huh. arm of the bank, but we also Great. you know cross pollinate with you know many other we interface I interface with with many others inside of BDC in order to develop these new products and to look at ways in which I can leverage you know um, an investment that we make into a woman-led technology enterprise with maybe financial services and uh, working capital as that company begins to grow. So there's a bit of a life cycle approach um, to to making those investments. And I think that's that's also quite unique. I uh, I want to uh, dig into uh, your your responsibilities to uh, to manage the investment capital being allocated to high growth tech entrepreneurs led by women. But I, I have one little segue question for you, and um, I'm I'm sensing that larger organizations um, such as the ones that you and I hang out with, but other ones are starting to make it more attractive for entrepreneurs to come to the dark side. And be involved with larger organizations who are typically bureaucratic because they're recognizing the value propositions of that type of thinking. Are you seeing that in your experiences from coast to coast? Oh, for sure. For sure. And we're seeing that even in the emergence of, um, um, you know, if you think about the accelerator ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. And the accelerators um, play an important role, certainly in the development of the um, the idea through to uh, a uh, minimum viable product or or uh, some type of prototype, typically across the country. But what you're also seeing is the emergence of the big players, you know, the Royal Banks, the Googles, the Amazons, who are looking at uh, Johnson & Johnson, another, another example of looking at how they can um, also participate in creating accelerator programs or acceleration right. facilities in conjunction with others in their their local markets or their na- or the national market in order to drive innovation not just so that they can see it but so that they can be you know again they can play a role at the leading edge of new technology as it innovates and um, and right now we're just you know we're in a disruptive time and now is the time to be to be aligning with um, entrepreneurs that are building these these new bleeding edge innovations. Yeah, I love the bleeding edge. I heard that statement a long time ago, and I thought that was so cool. Not the leading edge, the bleeding edge. Um, <laughs> what, Michelle, is a high-growth tech company? Well, by my definition, a high-growth tech company is a company that is um, going glo- looking to go global out of the gate. Uh, they have a highly scalable product or service. Um, they have an, a very specific or broad identified uh, market opportunity that they're going after. Competition or no competition. Lots of people will tell you they have no competition. They're probably wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's, and, and they're, you know, I would say they're not on the hockey stick curve because I think hockey, the, you know, the hockey stick curve has a bit of a, a um, um, it's a bit misaligned with what actually mm-hmm. happens when you're taking yeah, a totally. product or service yeah. to market, but yeah. they have a high, you know, there, there's a high ramp rate um, in terms of their ability to attract and grow customers um, and scale, scale customer growth and revenue growth, which is what I look for primarily um, right. month over month or, or annually, depending on the type of business that they're in. And I really like platform approach companies because um you know, if you're a platform company like um, 
there's there's a number of these now in, that are using artificial intelligence to build software um, enterprise platforms. But yes. those types of companies that can cross over verticals are also super interesting because it means that they aren't just going after one market, but they can go after multiple markets. And so the, the opportunity is substantially, substantially bigger. And so those are the, those are what I would constitute in a very loose way, a high growth tech tech company. What, um, uh, you know, I hear this debate a lot. Should you build to sell or should you build to sustain? Um, when you're looking at investments, uh, are you looking at a combination of both? What their exit plan, when you get the proverbial, what is your exit plan? It's always like, what's your exit plan? Well, what if my exit plan is to not have an exit plan? Uh, <laughs> what's in the sense of, yeah, okay, I'm always for sale. Everything's always for sale. But what if I just, you know, I want to build a, a legacy-based business that when I die, it still can continues on. When you're looking at investment, you and your team are looking at investments. Is there one area over the other? Or, you know, how are you looking at it for a return on investment for uh, for uh, its BDC growth, right? It's BDC, yeah, BDC Capital, yeah. yeah capital. So, so in the case of BDC Capital, we're, you know, like, like any venture fund, we look at things in terms of their exit potential. Um, and we need to do that because the there's only so many dollars so on a you know 70 million dollar fund of which uh, 60 million of that is direct investment oriented we need to be looking at what what com- what are the companies that we can invest in such that we can return that capital back within a 7 to 10 year period of time which is the length of time for the fund to be in existence technically um, now those you know the luxury of, of BDC is that sometimes we can we can move those numbers around the the timelines around a little bit but but if you're a private fund and you're looking at investing in a te- in a technology fund from a venture perspective you are looking at investing in that company growing that company providing you know your capital plus resources around the the entrepreneur and their and the management team to build that business for exit and typical exits are around 8 to 10 years 10 years so when it is sometimes if- longer Sometimes longer, yeah. So, so it's ultimately about you look at the potential first, and then you get into okay, how do we make this happen? Is that yeah, uh, is that fair exactly, to say? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And things happen, right? So you may start out thinking that you're a venture, uh, going to be a venture backed business, and you might do a Series A round and get you know some great uh, great investors um, in that round that are you know driving hard. But you know Murphy's law, right? Stuff happens, mm-hmm, and. Mm-hmm. You and you may get through, you know, five or six years of growth, and the market completely changes on you. And sometimes these things are predictable. Most of the time, they're not. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, you might decide with your investor base and with your board of directors that you know what, actually, this business isn't going to go. It's it's just not going to go in the direction that we thought it was going to go. And here are the three options. And so you might decide at that point in time, well. Mm, Maybe this is a better, call it a lifestyle business or a business that will grow organically instead of of through, you know, various turns of of venture capital financing and acquisition strategies and all those other good things. And and at the end of the day, I may, may just decide that this is a better fit. So you buy out your investors and, you know, go down another path. So nothing is ever a guarantee, but that's sort of the direction that we're looking at is that sort of venture profile, looking at an exit, eight to eight sort of 
you know, people would like to say that you're going to exit in five years. It's, you know, I'd say that's probably not likely. Mm-hmm. Um, but eight to t- eight to 10 year exit horizon, again, depending on the sector. And if, if, you know, something happens and that, that changes or that game plan changes, then you deal with it. When I think of high growth, Michelle, I'm thinking of companies that are already, you know, have got a track record of say three to four years, and that's when they come to you. Is is that is that true for uh, for your fund? We're seeing them much earlier than that. So we will invest the um, the the allocation will invest in what we're looking for our seed and Series A primarily, mm-hmm. um, and I mean later later seed stage. So you've got some revenue. You're you're you know you're you're getting ready to ramp your sales, yes. and uh, so seed late seed, seed Series A is our uh, really our sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll maybe do a couple of Series B rounds, but you know not likely with the amount of capital that we currently have available to us. Um, but the logic behind that is that we'd like to be able to follow on in subsequent rounds. So what I'd like to be able to do and what I'm shooting for in terms of the way that we've modeled this, this allocation and this, um, uh, this investment is to look at opportunities where we can put an initial investment in and then we can follow on in subsequent rounds. And as the company grows, remember, I've got BDC um, mm-hmm. behind me. And BDC as a whole has um, has really gone, you know, talk about, again, or going back to the innovation um question um they've really gone above above and beyond the call the call with respect to women entrepreneurs and they've allocated more than 800 million dollars in in loans to women-led enterprise across the country so my intention is for the companies that we invest in is to also be able to look at where there may be opportunities to and where it, it means um where it makes sense to do so bring in uh working capital or other other financial products like loans and so on to help those companies have a backstop and, you know, a proper financial plan, which includes equity and debt in order to grow the business to scale. So, and how long have you been in your position? Oh, six months. <laughs> I love it. So this is perfect question then. How, when you walked into this position, uh, did you look at the team and say, oh, we're going to do things a little differently? And if yes, what are some high level stuff that uh, you said, no, I'm in order to go to the next level. And I'm sure they're all great people. We're going to, we're going to approach it this way in building the team so that it can provide the value we want it to. Yeah, I absolutely did that. Um, absolutely did that. And, and everybody, everybody, at least what they tell me is that they're all on board. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Of course. Yes. I bet they are. <laughs> but we have, we have, um, um, the other part. So the other hat that I wear is, is in managing strategic investments for, uh, for BBC capital, which is all of the other seed and, and early stage investment activity, um, uh, across Canada, aligned with accelerators and, and a number of micro funds um, in, across the country. So, essentially, what we did was we had a look at where 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 we were, what the portfolio looked like of companies, and then again, what do we need to do to grow up these companies? What do we need to do to help them scale? Is this model working? And if not, then how do we need to change it? And so we actually went out to the market and we asked the question, and uh, got the responses back from the market, including 
including uh, responses back from our own uh, our own portfolio of companies, of which there is a sizable a, num- a sizable number, mm-hmm. and uh, and based on that market feedback, that's how we recra- we've been recrafting, and uh, so I think we've got a pretty good line line of sight now and strategy in terms of how we're going to move forward, and the team is is uh, getting very excited about our ability to then you know go out to market and execute on that strategy. So that's what we've spent the last six months doing, and and uh, now we're starting to get into execution mode. And we'll be bringing you, on a couple new people that have um, strong investment experience to help with that. Yeah, of course. Um, what's uh, what do you do when you're not hanging out at BDC? I'm uh, I'm running. Yes. I like to do that. Um, have, have you run marathons? I have. Yes. Yes. How many? Fair number. Um, five. What's your favorite one? Vancouver. Vancouver. And have you done mm-hmm. the Dublin one? I have not, but I hear yeah. it's really beautiful. <laughs> It's brilliant. That was my first one. I've done three and it's absolutely amazing. They run it on a banker's holiday and everybody comes out to watch this marathon. It's freaking oh fantastic. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's just That's wonderful. Incredible. That, yeah. It's, it's just wonderful stuff and it's a big party routine. So, uh, so you oh, well, run that's it. it. That's half of yeah. it. The party afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it totally is. So and how long have you been running marathons? Oh, I don't know. Since I was in my early twenties. Yeah, good for you. It's a do long you use time it? ago. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you use it because it's part of your personal, you know, well being strategy? Uh, do you use it to think? Uh, I mean, you're running a pretty major major portfolio here with an amazing team, coast to coast. Uh, what do you do when you're running? Besides, obviously, run. Yeah, well, usually it's my meditation, right? So I, I use it as my um, as a part of my meditation practice because it's really yeah. where I get to pound out all my frustrations on the pavement and and um, you know get kind of by the time I'm done and I'm exhausted, it's like okay, I actually feel a lot better now, and I usually have a better perspective once I've sort of once I've done that. And, um, so that helps and biking, biking is the same. So I, I've Uh, taken up, uh, taken up riding as well this year and I'm just kind of getting going on that. But, um, but I think that's going to do the same thing. Save my, save my knees for a little bit, but, um, but I can't help the running thing. It's kind of in your, you know, if you've got it in your blood, you just kind of want to keep doing it. Right. Yeah. You're done. You're done for sure. Yeah. Um, How do you uh, encourage your team to engage in external activities, extracurricular activities besides what they do at work? Do you you have a process or a strategy in place to uh, encourage that? No, we don't yet. It's been pretty ad hoc, but um, mm-hmm. but we're starting to put a plan in place for that for the following years. So I've I've allocated it out to them and said, you know, like you you guys, let's get a whiteboard together and we'll figure it out. But um, but I'm pushing it out to them so that they uh, it's not coming from me. It's coming from from them so that they they buy in and they want to participate. Is education a big part of your uh, your strategy um, with uh, BDC Capital with regards to uh, you know the messaging that's going to women who are considering uh, getting into the tech world or who are in it already and need to learn more about it? 
Yeah, I mean, we do, we're doing more of that. Um, and I think it'll become even more important. One of the, one of the strategies really is to get peer to peer networking mm-hmm. going on, leveraging the, you know, again, leveraging the accelerators, leveraging the, the venture capital community, but, uh, and then, ven- um, leveraging the entrepreneurial networks like Startup Canada and others, but to get entrepreneurs, um, together to start talking about, you know, uh, building bridges. One of the, one of the things that we got for, in terms of feedback from women entrepreneurs was, look, don't stick us in a room with a whole bunch of other women necessarily. We'd like the, mm. we want to network with others and, you know, they're kind of thinking diversity sort of right sure. from the get go. And, you know, and, and that's the right way to think, right? You want to have a mixed group of people that you can uh, play off of and, uh, and learn from. So that's part of the, the education that we're going to do. And then, um, setting up things like office hours and so on, where we're again, leveraging the, the venture community and, and uh, tech entrepreneurs that have been there, done that before, like you to, you know, sit down with, with some of these particularly younger um, women who are just kind of getting started and trying to figure out what they want to do and, you know, sort of give them some mentorship and some advice to help them get, uh, get going in the right direction or in a direction that they might change later. Well, as uh, as you know, our CEO of Startup Canada is a woman, and she is a remarkable person. Uh, and as can, the leadership level has been just beyond beyond the moon as to where she's taken that organization in the last five to six years. Um, what's your hope for Startup Canada as it continues on its journey? Well, I think you know she, you know, Victoria has done an outstanding job. I agree. I think she's done amazing. Um, with the organization, I saw her, you know, get it on, kickstart it. And so to see where it is now is quite something. I think, you know, <clears throat> to see Startup Canada continue to push the boundaries of entrepreneurship in Canada and, and bring more entrepreneurs off the sidelines and, uh, and getting, you know, getting that ecosystem uh, even more vibrant than it is now, I think is, you know, where it needs to continue to go and to continue to develop those, those A, the conversation, but also also then the action to um, ensure that there are, there is continued support for entrepreneurs at the um, at the regional level and then all the way up sort of up the food chain to the federal level as they um, as they try to build these companies because that's that's the engine of of growth for the Canadian economy I believe and and will continue to be so. Yeah, I, I believe so too. And I'm actually, you know, put put all the politics aside. I'm very encouraged with the dialogue that's happening at the federal level um, with regards to uh, innovation and uh, entrepreneurship. It really is starting to uh, to, to gain great momentum uh, in both governments. In fairness, uh, I noticed it with the Harper government and also now the Trudeau government that that's that that's happening, and uh, just really thrilled to to uh, to see that. Um, Michelle, uh, I know you're busy, but I want to ask you one more question, actually two more, if you don't mind, uh, really quick ones. Uh, what's one word of advice that you would give to entrepreneurs that they have to consistently do this one thing in your opinion, as an entrepreneur, first of all, and then obviously as an investor in order to consistently, uh, be focused in the right direction for the for their sustainability, let alone their growth or their career as an entrepreneur? One word. No, one thing. We can go one thing. <laughs> <laughs> but one word works also. 
And, well, you know what's one, interesting is, is that people always people always think this is a test. It's like they have to get it right. You're going to come back and say, that's the wrong answer, Michelle. Well, at but, least it's not multiple choice because I really hate right. those. Um, <laughs> my one, if I were to pick one word, I would pick communicate. Ah, okay. Now, can you just, can you expand on that? Yeah. So one of the things that um, we often see, and this is not only of of sort of early stage in, um, entrepreneurs, but even as they get, you know, grow, um, is clear communication of what you do, clear communication of the value proposition of your company the problem that you're trying to solve mm. and then how we are solving it and sort of walking, walking investors and customers through the story um, and, and talking to them about the story of, you know, how they're, how they're going to benefit from, from, you know, being on board with you from A to B to C to D and then, and then by extension communicating what you need. Do, do you find it is it absolutely? I've just I've lied to you. I'm going to ask you another question. <laughs> of do you find it incredulous though that that that's as simple and as obvious as that is? How many entrepreneurs come with I need money? I need money. They don't lead with here's my story and the pain point of the value proposition. They always lead with need money. Not actually always, but a large majority of them. Do you find that in your journeys? Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting is that, you know, sometimes I wonder, and I think because I've, you know, been here, been there too, um, you know, is it fear-based? Like, like, oh my gosh, if I don't get the money, I'm never going to be able to make this work. Okay, mm. so maybe let's change the thinking around to be, if money was no object, what would I need to make this work? Right, right. And just Love turn it. it around so you're... You know, you're projecting then, to use my meditation metaphor, you're projecting then what you want the universe to bring you versus, mm. you know, limiting yourself by, oh, my God, I need the money. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, in, in our world, we're uh, we're focusing a lot on using the business model canvas now as, as a tool. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just, it's worked out brilliantly for us to get that dialogue on the present, the P-R-E-S-N-T as a gift versus uh, presence. And uh, it's, uh, it's when the light bulb goes on with these entrepreneurs, ah, of course, it's amazing how the magic happens, but it's just around that dialogue that uh, we need to have them centered on what is ultimately going to keep them going in the journey. Um, Michelle, I want you to please tell me what your favorite book is that's not business related. Oh, favorite book that's not business related. <sighs> I don't Can know. <laughs> I clearly I need it. to read more. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. What's your favorite business book then? <laughs> well, it's funny because I was just as you were asking me that question, I turned to my, the books that are on my desk. <laughs> and the first book that I, the first title that I saw was Winnie the Pooh on Success. 
I love thought, it. You know what? That's actually a pretty good book. I should read that again. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. You know what? It was interesting that you picked up Winnie the Pooh because I, if you weren't able to come up with what I was going to say, I was actually in my daughter's room this morning and she has a Dr. Seuss book up there. Oh, the places I shall go. Oh, and that's such a great book. <laughs> it's such a wonderful book, isn't it? And so many great lessons associated with that uh, that can come out of Winnie the Pooh or Dr. The Seuss or Michelle Scarborough. Uh, we really appreciate this conversation. I hope you continue to do the magic yard with the focus you are for entrepreneurs across the country and uh, and your portfolio and leading high growth tech entrepre- uh, companies for uh, for women entrepreneurs and, uh, and of course supporting Startup Canada. Uh, amongst all your busy schedule, I know you find time to support us in, in the agenda we're doing. So Michelle, I hope you have an incredible day. I uh, hope you get to Dublin sometime to run the marathon there. And I look forward to the next uh, conference that we get to, uh, to see each other. Well, it sounds like a plan. And uh, yeah, you know what? You just let me know when you're going back over there to run it and I'll join you. Okay. You got it, my friend. Have an epic <laughs> All right. day. All right. Cheers. Take care. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Want access to resources and support to grow your business? Visit startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Till next week, I'm Rivers Corbett leaving you with a sneak peek of next week's episode. Hi, this is Paul Chaput, president of Creative Consulting, and you are listening to Startup Canada podcast with Rivers Corbett. Well, and that's, uh, you know, obviously that's become a a focus for um, your doctorate. Um, And and did you direct and produce the film? We talked about planning stories, feeding communities when you were doing your doctorate. Yes, and it's based on the findings of my master's, you see. Uh, mm-hmm. My master's was all about um, um, Native Studies curricula in Ontario schools. And uh, when I was applying for my master's at Queen's University, um, I was interviewed in the Rutherford Room, which has uh, lining the walls, um, all of the past master's theses and, and dissertations of, of various doctors um, yes and I was struck by that fact I thought you know here are all these books you know lining the walls and what happens <laughs> what happens to all this knowledge yes that's, uh, that's um, in those books and I had a flash and I thought to myself and I didn't I remember mentioning to the person interviewing me that if I was accepted one of the things I would do would make sure would be to make sure that whatever research I did would get back to uh, the public or the um, concerned parties. Right on. And so um, I was fortunate to be funded for a, a PhD. And so I, um, and I had mentioned in my application that I was going to use film because I've done film in the past. And so um, I wanted to use film to bring the findings of my masters back to the Six Nations community where three of my main people that I interviewed were from and they were indigenous educators and so forth and so um, the the film was was um, the debate was whether I had to also have a written dissertation 
And uh, I was, of course, arguing that the more film I do, the less dissertation I should write. Of course, that makes sense. It's the same thing, for goodness sakes. Just a different format. Well, I'm glad that you see the point. But, <laughs> but there are priorities. You know, there are yeah, rules. They wanted another book on the shelf, didn't they? And they and they got one, too. Another 300 pages down the road. But it, it was warranted in certain ways because we have to after making the film and showing it and having um, questionnaires associated with it, um, there was obviously some findings that had to be uh, communicated to my sure. committee and to the to the um, to the members of the community, and um, they were all positive. But uh, without the written dissertation, people wouldn't know uh, about mm. that, that part of the analysis and the theoretical background, for instance. So sure. um, I. Um, I decided, well, I was lucky because um, a young man came forward and offered his services and he was a great cameraman and editor. And so this is the thing. One of the things that I would like to convey to our, our listeners today is that let's do it. For me, um, it's like whatever project you do, if you're a painter, an artist, I consider myself an artist, a communicator, that kind of thing. Um, but whatever you do, like if I'm doing a painting, it's going to be one signature at the bottom of it, not a whole bunch of signatures. Um, if you do a film, you know, all of us have been to films and when the credits start rolling, people are there for five minutes. Yeah. And so that's an important distinction because when we're uh, working as entrepreneurs um, and we have a great idea and we want to get out the gate quickly and, you know, maybe beat others who might have similar ideas, we have to take into consideration this very important element of collaboration. How many people are going to be involved and what's it going to take? Because every shortcut we take usually means somebody is not going to be getting the remuneration they would deserve or would get if they were in Hollywood or working on a, um, a professional um, uh, film um, with a union, you know, a union run film, for instance. Yes, so, yes, yes. So it's an important thing to understand that, you know, how many people are, is it going to take to do this? And for a film, uh, it was, you know, maybe it ended up being about six of us, but um, really it should have probably been more like 20 because you, you know, <laughs> the, the kind of quality that's required to, to make a film um, acceptable, for instance, to a national uh, channel like uh, Aboriginal People's Television Network would have been nice yes. to get it on there, but it doesn't have quite quality that probably they would accept. Um, so there are lots of thoughts and decisions to be made, but I'm just pointing out this this, um, this sort of a little insight that I got along the way, and that is if I'm doing a painting or I'm doing a film, you know, what a big difference in terms of the number of people that are going to have to be involved in that final product.